Welcome to Foster Strong, a podcast where America's alumni of foster care share captivating and compelling stories of what it was like growing up in the foster care system. Each episode, we explore how our time in foster care shaped us into the resilient individuals we are today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Foster Strong. This week, it is myself, Nate, and Slam. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Not much. How y'all doing? We are so excited to uh, be talking to these fine folks today. Uh, first and foremost, this is going to be Slam Spotlight episode. Uh, it's probably going to be dope as hell just because she's going to give us a special surprise at the end of the episode. So be sure that you stay tuned for that. Um, also, Nate is on here co-hosting with me uh, this week all the way from Oregon. Uh, and if you haven't listened to Nate's Spotlight episode, go back and listen to that, as well as the best Instagram live on Foster strong fridays to date probably before slam comes on there uh nate and i did last week so you can go on uh my page which is at adrian mclemore to go find that or you are foster strong i believe tried to resave it and send it back out or even nate baka a triple one correct one 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 yeah there we go and then you can also follow slam at slam anderson so uh this has been a very interesting week so uh, first of all, let me just get a couple things off my chest because I feel like I can, I can talk to the people, not just to the people out there listening, but to y'all too. Like in between the hurricanes that are hitting Texas and Louisiana, so for our girl Ivy Marie, shout out to you. Hope you're doing well down there, braving the storm. Um, but also the stuff that's going on in Wisconsin um, has hit me pretty hard as a black man in America. And I know this is this episode isn't about that. Um, so I just want to put that out there that we did a special episode, Ivy Marie, Candy, and myself, uh, that you should go back and listen to one of our early episodes of Foster Strong uh, talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. So that's my shameless plug for a whole bunch of things. But that's kind of where my headspace is now. But luckily, I got Slam here today to make me feel better, to share her story <laughs> with us, and to share our story, her story with you. So you're in for a treat. But first and foremost, we got to give her her proper due. So Nate is going to introduce her. Go ahead, Nate. All right. Well, thank you everybody for coming back. Um, I'm honored to be introducing Slam Anderson. And here's a little background on Slam. Uh, Slam pronouns she and her is the outreach director for Kitchen Table Literary Arts Center, a nonprofit organization based in Tampa, Florida, celebrating their sixth anniversary on September 4th. She is a writer and spoken word artist. She uses spoken word to tell her story, empower, inspire, and spread love. She is number four in a five-sibling family and said a good day for her includes seafood, spades, and her bay. <laughs> her ride-out song is apparently J. Cole. <laughs> so welcome slamming into first and foremost i got you on the spades in the bay can't get yes. with you on the seafood i, can, I, I cannot oh, do that what can't seafood. do that i can't Love do the seafood, seafood. and i'm from I, no, I'm not, go ahead no sushi for you no sushi no seafood no nothing and the crazy part is i live in baltimore maryland which is like crab cakes and oysters and everything ooh, and i i don't ooh. do it whatsoever mm. and i know slam is down there in florida so seafood is probably real big i know i tried um alligator uh the last yes. time i was in mm-hmm. louisiana i think that's about as close as i'm going to get to something that comes from the water 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, and you see, like, I'm from, like, and I tell people, like, I'm from, like, small towns in the country area. So I'd be like, look, we also be eating coon. What y'all know about that raccoon and the, you know? Shoot, people don't believe me. I say, man, we'll barbecue some coon real quick. You understand? Oh, my goodness, nothing. No. Uh, nothing. Nader, I know. Gator Nate, tail. You, Nate, you sound fancy. The first thing out your mouth was sushi. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm thinking because the first first thing... Uh, anytime somebody says they don't like seafood, I'm like, so you've never had sushi then? But if you don't like sushi, then I can understand not liking seafood because sushi, there's such a high variety. And I'm the kind of person that I'll eat, you know, just the fish straight. Like, I don't need no soy sauce on it. Like, I'll just, <laughs> I'll eat it right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if y'all listen out there, it, it looks like it's going to be two against uh, one today because I, I'm not getting with any of what they are talking about. None whatsoever. Um, so, but we're happy to have Slam in here. Her bio does not do her justice. She is an awesome, awesome uh, down to earth person. And we're so excited to talk to her uh, today. And so, what we want to talk about today uh, that Slam kind of wants to highlight is the importance of protecting attachments and keeping siblings together. And so we are all sisters and brothers from the foster care community. Um, but when we were uh, preparing for this episode, we talked a lot about um, growing up in foster care in and around our siblings or not with our siblings whatsoever and how important it is about those relationships and how those relationships are affected once we leave the system. And so uh, we figured Slam, in addition to our story, is going to focus on some of these things. And I think it's you're going to be in for a real, real treat. But first and foremost, Slam, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself and who you are and kind of where you come from? Okay, no problem. So, um, I'm originally from Gainesville, uh, Alachua, Florida. I like to say both because I do, I do claim both of them as my home. Um, I just celebrated uh, my birthday, August 22nd. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! birthday. Thank you. you. Uh, So I was happy about that. Um, And yeah, I come from a family of of five siblings and my mom. So it was the the six of us, which we love. We love it just being the six of us. you know, all the time. Um, I went into foster care when I was eight years old. And I want to put this out here because I always tell this too, and it's something else we talked about. And just about, I was I was taken multiple times and I was put in and out of foster care um, until the last time. And honestly, it kind of just, everything kind of mashes together. Yep. You know what I mean? Like when I think back, I can't really think about I don't see individual times like this time and that time. You see there's one continuous placement. It's just like one continuous thing. And even that is still a little, um, you know, foggy. You know, one of the things I'm working on is getting my case files so that I can fill in some of these gaps and, you know, clear up some of these things that I've had and answer some of the questions that I still have about what happened. Um, And then being around my siblings, too, you know, now that we are older, when we talk to each other, it's kind of like we trigger each other memories so we know you know we can kind of fill in each other gaps and we're like oh snap i do remember that i do remember this type of thing yeah you know it's kind of like we just jump back in and it comes back to us type of thing um but um when I think about my experience, you know, in foster care, I always see life before foster care and then foster care and then, you know, everything else. Um, and so, like I said, you know, it was always, you know, my mom, she was a single mom. You know, she pretty much raised um, all five of us um, by herself. We all had different fathers um, and they weren't really in the picture at all. Um, my father, um, he actually passed away when I was two years old. So I actually never really met him. 
Um, and it's so funny because my my siblings talk about him and they'd be like, he's the best. He's the best man mom ever had. Like he's the <laughs> oh. best one. He was the best one. He used to buy these big candy bars. Well, still us these big candy bars, <laughs> but you know. You know what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Slam, let me let me if I may, can I ask you a quick question? Now, when you say that your siblings uh, hold your your dad in high regard and have these fond memories, um, are they a lot older? Um, that's my first question. And then the the second question I have. Um, is it, do you believe that it has a lot to do with the fact that they focus on the good in terms of how your father, and the reason why I asked that is because I, I have very fond memories of my father, but my father is one of the reasons as to why I have a lot of struggles too, because he was, he was not the best of dads, uh, particularly when he's married to my mom. So I just wondered how do your when your siblings are sharing those memories of your dad, um, are they from a place of continuous memories and what was life like before foster care? Or is it they're choosing to remember the good parts of him, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to answer your first question, yeah, um, I am the second youngest. So I have and two older brothers. Then I have an older sister. Then it's me. And then I have a younger sister. So then that's the five of us. So I was eight. And then, um, you know, everyone from there, my youngest sister, when she was a toddler when we first went. Gotcha. And then everyone kind of from there. Um, but we're kind of like within like three to four years from each other when you go up. Um, and they, and I think when they talk about him, it's de- definitely before, because like I said, I, I was two when he passed away. So they're just kind of remembering the good times with him and everybody compared to everybody who came after, which is the reasons why we were in foster care. Cause yeah. of, uh, what, what came after. So when we look at all the guys who are, who, who our mom was with, you know, I think they say, you know, your dad, you know, he was, he was that one, you know, that's an awesome memory or the thing to hold on to then. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And so, yeah, we were we were very close as a family. You know, my mom, we, we didn't have a lot of things. You know, we struggled, but we didn't look at it as struggle. Like, even now, like, when I look back, I didn't see it as struggle, you know, before foster care. We didn't have much, but we had each other, you know, and that's the thing that my mom kind of instilled in us. You know, she was young. People didn't even think she had five kids. It was so hilarious when we all come jumping out the car when some guy <laughs> would try to talk to her. They're like, wait. All of these is your kids? <laughs> wait, wait, what? Wait, two, well, hold on. Yeah, yeah. That's your son? Yeah, that's that's my son. So it would be it would be so hilarious, you know. And she was always saying she has, has beautiful voice. So that was another thing. And so always had guys uh, hitting on her, but they would see us and be like, what is going on? And so it was always us. And um, she was a hustler. You know, she she did hair. She made handkerchiefs for the church ladies and would sell them to them, you know, designed them. She um, made figurines. She worked multiple jobs. Um, but the thing, she always had time for us. Mm. You know, always had time. You know, um, I, and I don't even know. I wonder, I look back, like, how does she have all this time to spend with us? You know, she was that mom. She was the champ at Foursquare. First of all, you did not want to see her. You <laughs> I want to see my mom game. in Foursquare. Love yes. Foursquare. Adrian, I'm telling you, you want to see my mom in Foursquare, man. Yeah, I'm telling man. you. I still get down with Foursquare today. Man, yeah. I crushed my niece and nephews the last time we played because I, I yeah. am ruthless. Foursquare yeah, was the she, game, man. That's the classic was. game. You can take a piece Shoot. of side chalk or even sidewalk cracks and make a game real quick and be out there for hours. Like, I'm about to be the champion in this square. <laughs> you hit that cherry bomb, that twist on them, Oh, it's coming know. for you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and so that's the type of stuff she did with us you know we i remember one thing it's a story we tell when we're together me and my siblings it's just a memory we have um you know my mom couldn't afford to get us you know all the toys and stuff that all the kids had um and i remember one day 
I don't know, me and my sisters or something, we wanted some dolls or something. I don't fully remember all the details, but I do remember her getting all these materials together, cardboard, pencil, paper, all this stuff. And she got all of us in the living room and she sat us down and we all made paper dolls together. Hmm. And she showed us how to cut their bodies out of cardboard. She showed us how to make the clothes with the little tabs on them so it folds back behind the cardboard so it stands (laughs) up on them so they can move around. You know, she showed us how to do the hair. And then we go outside. Now all the kids in the neighborhood want to come over and make paper dolls. Nobody (laughs) wants that size no more. You know, she was that type of person, you know. And so um, the thing was, though, like I said, this is the... You know, the, the relationship we had when it wasn't a guy or a man involved. You know, we all we used to play this word game, too. It's like every throughout the week, everyone would put words in a jar. And then because laundry days were hard days when you got five <laughs> kids, <laughs> laundry days are long days. So yes, word of the day that. game happened. Yeah. At the end of the week is when we pull. So throughout the week, we're putting names in a jar, getting ready for laundry day because we would spend all day wait 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 so so my my devious self would just be putting the names of my siblings in the jar and never my own name like how did this how does the name go it's your word so it's the word game so we would have a jar and you would put a word so every day you would put a different word like the it whatever word came to your mind gotcha you would put in there and so we would pick a word at the end of the week we'll pick a word out of the jar whoever turn it was Whoever was caught saying that word, whatever word was picked, it can be the, it, or something. Oh, that's, that's cut Whoever was caught saying that word, whoever caught them can tell them to do something dumb every time somebody say their names. For instance, when I got caught, my mom, every time somebody made me, uh, said my name, I had to say my name and I love ballerina. And I had to turn around <laughs> and do a ballerina dance, no matter where that's we were. Awesome. And she would not tell people. If we were in public, like my brother had to say he liked his boogers when time and people would be looking she wouldn't say anything it's part of the game you got to do it if you get caught you know so as you can see that was our relationship you know we we was just so happy with us even within our family we were an outcast of just us and even within our other you know bigger family it was still just us six um so everything kind of went to to heck (laughs) <laughs> to hell slam to hell it went to hell um yeah when she met and we'll call him for the sake of this podcast we're gonna call him g okay you know when she met g and um when she met g uh she met him at the bus stop apparently they they met at the bus stop and um he at first you know he was he was great typical great father came in you know wanting to be a dad to us doing all this and then you know, I took a recently took some <laughs> some social work class preparing to, you know, get into grad school and stuff. And, you know, it was the typical, you know, when you read the books, what they say, it was the typical domestic violence story. You know, everything was good at first. Everything was, you know, nice. And then the abuse started hmm. and um, and it started with my mom and it was severe and it was in front of us. It didn't matter. Um, he, he would beat her. He would throw things at her. And so our first introduction to foster care was just police and people being called to our house for um, 
hearing and what was going on from our mom and even us having to, you know, go over to a neighbor house because it got so bad at the house, you know, we had to get away, you know, and, you know, my older brother, you know, this is when that sibling thing come in, my older brother, you know, him, my mom always, you know, raised us, you take care of each other, you know, your older brother, you're the oldest, you take care of your siblings, you're the oldest girl, you make sure you look out for your sisters type of thing. And so my older brother, he was the one and my other brothers, you know, he, he stood up, you know, he pulled the knife on him once and it upset us because he went to, he went to juvie for it, you know. Mm. It was one of those things was like you see the we see kids or we see adults because we don't even get the story as them as kids. We see adults and we see them as adults paying for consequences and decisions and choices they made as kids to only protect the people they love because they had no other way. You know what I mean? So it's like he was the the younger he was the oldest, so he pull, He would try to fight back. He would pull knives on him. He would do whatever he can to try to protect us. And he would end up being the one getting in trouble or getting a charge for it. You know, um, even when we went into foster care, um, just to speed up, but I'll go back. But even when we went into foster care, when he'd be running away or being rebellious because they split us up and fighting back, he was just being labeled as this disobedient child, this bad kid. We need to send him there. We need to send him there. And not tuning in to the fact, hello, you're taking away his his siblings these people who he has been embedded in and taught to protect you're taking away his lifeline and you're wondering why he's acting like this you know when he's been taught to at by any means necessary you take care of your siblings of course when you take them away he's going to act up he's going to do whatever and all he's saying is just bring me my siblings and i'm good you know but you know for some reason that's just such a difficult task in this system um, so, and you would think it would be, it would make sense for them to want to keep you guys together, you know, for, you know, mental health sake for, you know, just for you guys to have somebody to relate with. And it's just, it's absolutely wild that they would split you guys up like that. Mm -hmm. And actually, like, it just makes me think with, and actually, this is how one of the th ways I got involved and introduced to Foster Strong is how I met Miss Allison Maxine. But because um, I met her when she was doing a lecture at a conference about attachment theory and, mm. and attachments and, and siblings and keeping, you know, keeping siblings together. And I remember when she was done, I was like, oh, my God, this lady gets it. She gets it. Why? Why isn't she running this entire system right now? <laughs> type of thing, you know? I was like, I'm going to talk to her after this conference. And I don't really even do that. But I was like, I am going to talk to this woman. And then I talked to her. We kind of just clicked, you know, from that. But I was just listening to her, and, and just like you said, Nate, it's like you these relationships, you've already taken them from one attachment. You know, you've already removed them from their home, their, their first um, guardians, you know, their primary home, the places they remember. So you already removed them from that. You've already taken them from there. So they're already trying to deal with that. So why try to take this other part? Why try to then take the siblings? Why try to take that only that last thing they're trying to hold on to, you know, to get through this process? Um, so, yeah, so we first went in when we were when we were eight, when I was eight years old. Um, and I remember um, placement was not easy placing us. I remember when we first went in. Um, me and my brothers and sisters were me, my brothers and sisters, we were together, but we had my younger sister wasn't with us. They went she went somewhere else. They wouldn't tell us where um, she was a hand hand at this point. You know, you carry her in her hand, uh, but still kind of toddler age. And they went tell us where she went. We went with this older couple and we laugh about it to this day. Uh, we laugh about it now. I mean, but um, they didn't like boys. Mm. 
for some reason, they didn't like boys. I was like, how did y'all even get in this? But they didn't like boys, and it was very obvious. And they treated my brothers very different. And my brother told us, he said, um, next time she comes and offers you all something, don't take it, don't accept it. Tell her if she can't treat all of us the same, then we're not going to accept anything she has, and mm. we're not going to listen to her. And that's exactly what happened. Because when we were in foster care, what my brother said, that's what it was. And that's something that I feel like is is what we you know another reason to keep siblings together because if you know this is kind of who they know as their head now then work with him work with him to try to get everybody on the same page because you've already they've already don't trust you so you need to you need to gain their trust and so what my brother said go if he say act up we act up he say be bad we be bad we say he say listen we listen but he was the one that we listened to. And so, so inside um, this sibling group, inside this family sibling dynamic, there was also a hierarchy where your brother was in charge, even as the chaos of coming into the system um, happened. Slim, I, let me ask you this and, and tell our folks out there who are listening. Um, when y'all first came into care, uh, you and your siblings and your other sibling, your, your other sister was not placed with y'all. Did they at least try to talk about uh, sibling visitations or stress the importance of at least having y'all see each other and spend time with each other? Or was it just y'all going to go here, y'all going to go here, and then, you know, we'll take it from there? No, not at that time, but that was one of the first times we were taken to. So I think that one just was could have been because of the the we weren't in foster care that long. Um, because every time we were taken, my mom completed her case plan. She mm. she did what they told her to do, and then we went back. The problem was when we went back, it wasn't so long until we were back with G, and we were back at G house, and then it went from the abuse being on her to coming to my brothers for fighting back and then coming to us. And not just abuse, but it was just uh, a lot of this crazy, moving us. You know, when we got taken in one county, he moved us and we got taken in another county. And then he, when we went back, he moved us, you know, moved us again. Um, at one point, we also were staying in a shelter. My mom tried to, you know, tried to get away. We were staying in a shelter. And, and this is another reason why I'm, you know, one of my goals or career path is to get into you know domestic violence and you know more resources because um we we did live in a women's shelter uh, for a while and it was actually hard because they didn't take boys over a certain age and my brothers were older so we we kind of she kind of had to beg to get all of us to go in there but they allowed us to and i was very thankful but the problem was g found out where it was and he threatened mm. to reveal the place and tell and other husbands which put the other uh mothers and children who were there at risk mm. so we had to leave and we actually had to leave in the middle of the night i remember not knowing what's going on just garbage bags getting put in the car driving away hearing a whole bunch of sirens parking and then my mom telling us you know you know go to sleep or you know we're free to go somewhere fun la 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 it's just gonna take us a while to get there and then you know falling asleep yeah. and then that was it so it's like, you know, um, another thing, you know, another question I always ask myself when I think about my overall foster care experience, and I'm pretty sure a lot of kids in care think about this, is, you know, we think, you know, why were we taken? You know, what, why were we taken instead of help? You know, why were we taken instead of my mother giving, giving more resources or giving more help, you know, type of thing, instead of just taken? Because um, the final time is when they said, you know, we couldn't go back. Yeah, something had happened where they took us and they was like basically the judge was basically like I'm sick of taking them back and forth right 
we're just going to leave him there because it seems like you can't leave this guy alone, you know, and it really was that he was also stalking her. You know, he was following her. He was going to where she was going. He was calling um, the uh, social workers saying that we're, they're still together. They're still doing this because he wanted her, you know, so that's a whole nother thing, but that's not my story to tell, but it's just, you know, connecting with that, but just those type of things too, that affect the whole thing. Yeah, Slim. So let me ask you, ask you this, and I'm pretty sure, um, for our listeners who are out there listening, whether they are in foster care or not, or if there is a caseworker out there listening. And this question is, is always asking. It's never in really an easy answer, but I'm pretty sure that's something that we can, the three of us, Nate included, uh, and myself and you, Slam, can relate to is as you're going through all of this trauma, as you're going through this separation from siblings, separation from your mom, uh, and let me just pause right here and say the fact that you have those type of sustained memories of the good times with your mom with Foursquare and names in the jar, like those are things that I like that if I'm being honest, are am kind of jealous of because those are precious memories. Like those are, because we're expected to be completely broken. We're expected when you come in system that your parents did something absolutely wrong and that they are the enemy and that we as a system are saving you. But hearing your story and hearing how your mom um, took care of you and cared for you and spent time with you, that's any mom. That's the love of a, of a parent. Uh, but my question is this, as you're going through all this trauma and these things uh, and knowing you as, as I know now, because I didn't know you then as a prolific writer and poet, did you have a voice then? Like when did that voice start developing inside of you as to who you are now? Is it a combination of all those things? Is it like, am I making sense here? Yeah. And actually it's a combination of all those, because honestly, when I was younger and when I was in foster care, and it's one of the reasons why I'm um, hesitant a lot of times to tell my story or bring up my story or even tell people I was in foster care because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't tell people for a while that I was in foster care. And a lot of people who I grew up with are just learning that I was in foster care through Foster Strong and my involvement in the podcast. And so, um, and one of the reasons why I didn't is because I felt like, honestly, I felt like I wasn't a real foster care kid. You know, I was like, I, I'm not real. I'm not real. You know, I, I didn't, I just let them do whatever they want. I just listened to them. You know, I just followed the orders. You know, I didn't, I didn't try to run away, you know, when I had the opportunity, you know, I didn't rebel when I didn't like what they were saying. You know, I didn't fight back when I didn't want to go. I just went where they told me to go. I did what they told me to do for a long time. I felt ashamed and just like, you know, I should have did more, man. I should have did this. I should have did that. And so that's why I was so hesitant to even, you know, be, you know, talk about being in foster care. So, cause when I was younger, I really just, just did what I was supposed to do. I did what everyone told me to do. And I lived in my head actually, that's when I started writing. You know, I lived in my head and it was like outside in the real world, I kind of was just on a stage. You know, this was my stage and I was an actor and this is the costume I have to put on to make it through this act. Because if I don't do this, then I'm going to end up somewhere I really don't want to be, you know. But when I was writing, that was me. 
when I wrote, that's when I was able to tell my honesty and tell my truth, which is not why now I tell people I express better when I'm writing or when I'm doing poetry, because that's what it was. Like, I didn't say what I wanted to say out loud or, you know, rebel. I just wrote it all down. You know, I lived another yeah. life in my head. And even in high school, you know, going through high school, those years, too, it's like I just did, you know, I lied. I lied a lot. Like, <laughs> I lied a lot. There's a lot of people like, what? Well, yeah, I liked a lot. <laughs> I liked a lot, you know what I mean? And I liked to myself a lot to try to keep up the lies because I was like, you know, it's too late now. You, you, you're in the lie now. Might as well keep it going yeah. type of thing. And so um, I didn't get my voice, I think, until I actually just left everything and came to Tampa. And when I left everything and came to Tampa, and, um, and, and at that time, I was um, still no connection with my siblings because when we all got kind of permanently removed is when they pretty much split us up um, and I was the one who was placed kind of in outcast zone I wasn't allowed to have contact with anyone um, all of that I wasn't and that was another thing too when I went into that next stage um, in my middle school high school ages you know where I was staying at I I didn't talk about foster care either the, you know wasn't allowed to talk about it no one asked me no one brought it up in the house no one said anything about it, it was like it never existed so in my mind it never existed if they're gonna wow. be like it never existed never exists i had to pretend to be this perfect kid this this go with the status quo kid and not be traumatized and that's what i did <laughs> yeah that's powerful uh it, gosh uh so when you were in your when you and your siblings were placed in the um in the final placement and you didn't and there was no going back to your mom how did that affect your relationship with your siblings um and sort of how and leading it uh, leading our listeners to how that affects your sibling relationships today which is the focus of this episode because i think the three of us have spent a lot of time talking uh, offline about the long-term impacts of not maintaining those sibling relationships um, uh, is very challenging and difficult uh, even to this day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was hard. It made me feel like a, a piece of me was missing, you know, be and because me and my siblings were so close, you know, it was like I, I wasn't whole, I wasn't complete. You know, I couldn't really be myself or be free. And then the role that I stepped into after that was the oldest. And I, I didn't even feel completely prepared to be an oldest. You know what I mean? I felt like I kind of, because of what happened, I feel like I kind of failed as the oldest when it was my turn to look out for everyone, you know, type of thing. And um, when... Like I said, when I was outcast, my siblings, they kind of had a little contact with each other. I was kind of the only one who had no contact with anyone. And um, they still, when they got to a certain age, they were able to kind of have a little contact with my mom. But I was the one who could not have any contact with anyone. Um, and actually, my sister... Um, and, and, and not having that, like I said, like I just, I just pretended, like I always knew they were out there. I used to keep pictures of them in drawers and just hide it, you know, and I just kind of just tried to pretend. And, and I had several things happen to me. My, my high school graduation, they came, they surprised me. Hmm. And it was so sad because I couldn't stand talk to them. I was rushed out. 
Oh, I saw man. them. I wanted to hug them. I went to all of this, but they was they were touching me. They was like, I know you can't stay. We know you can't really talk to us, but we just wanted to let you know we never forgot you and we're mm. here, you know? And so that and it was so sad because I wanted at that moment I wanted to let them know that I didn't forget them either. And I was 17. So I graduated when I was 17. So I wanted to tell them that too, but I couldn't. And I was rushed out. And then I felt even more bad because after that, when I did leave to go to Tampa and I kind of was getting away from everything, my sister actually reached out to me on MySpace. What up, MySpace? Thank you. Uh, MySpace, shout out. MySpace doing re reunifications up in here, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, somebody got to tell them what MySpace is before, because we got young listeners out there as well. MySpace hey. is what <laughs> Facebook used to be, except you could. You could pimp it out, basically. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. You could have you the. Could your, you still can have the music, music with the yeah. background and the. Screen. It's like they come in. You got a lobby on your page. It's like when people come on my yeah. page, that's the lobby right there. So they get that slow yes. jam. Then when they stroll down, <laughs> that's when the party get. You know, <laughs> so that's, that's my space. I remember people fighting over where they were ranked in my top ten. <laughs> Yes, I remember. <laughs> See, I remember. Oh those. my gosh, yeah, MySpace so used to be my stuff. My sister actually reached out to me on MySpace, and um, and I was mad at myself. I had to forgive myself too for a lot of things, but for this too, in particular, because I didn't reach back right away. But and I and I love her to death. You know, she's always my second mom. And she wrote back. She said, and when she messaged me too, she said, "Don't feel pressure to respond." You know, I know you need you need some time and it's okay, but I want you to know that I saw you on here and such and such. And so um, I, I didn't respond. Someone responded for me <laughs> and they ended up surprising me at my 21st birthday. And that was the first time I saw my two sisters for the first time mm -hmm. in like 10, 10 years or so. So. It That's was, awesome. Uh, it was great. It was, yeah. And then at the year after, a year after that, um, my brothers came down, we all came down and we got together. And honestly, um, when I think about, and then the year after that is when I first, I saw my mom again, I unified with my mom and she came and stayed the week, a week, weekend with me, a few days with me. But the reason why, and, and I just want to say this for any other kids who are like, you know, or, or alumni who are, think, who are in them stages of unifying and why I had to give myself for not reaching back out to her right away. And, and, I, t and I had to tell her this too. It's like, it wasn't anything she did. It honestly was me. I didn't feel worthy. You know, I didn't feel like I deserved to be able to speak to them. You know, I, I did, and then I didn't feel ready. You know, I wanted to be settled. I wanted to be set. I wanted to have a place for them to go if they needed it. I wanted to have money in my pocket to give them if they needed it. You know, I wanted to show them that I became something. And so yeah. they could see that their sacrifice wasn't in vain type of thing. You know, so. Yeah. One of the things that you talked about, Slam, uh, which is really hit home to me is wanting to let my siblings know and to participate in my accomplishments um, because it was because of them. And so similarly, uh, when I, the three of us were together for a brief time we, before 
And after foster care, there was a small snippet of our life where everything was great. Where we, when we were living in Las Vegas with our biological dad, like that's the small mm-hmm. piece of our childhood that was intact. Uh, and ever since then, we've been separated in separate foster homes and separate lives until uh, we aged out of the system. And so when you talked about graduation and being there and all of those aspects of it, that really hit home to me because you you want to be you want to be and always stay connected to people who you share DNA with. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean DNA in like the literal sense. I mean like DNA, like we both come from from parents, mm-hmm. from people. So we got some of the same traits, some of the same characteristics. We look like. And then plus we live <laughs> in the same house, so we look like. So then we also know each other's personalities. And that's very, very hard to uh, replicate in a foster care setting or even an adoptive setting. Like there is a, there, I don't know how scientists would describe it, but there is a bond between siblings that is unmatched uh anyway and so you sharing that aspect uh really touched on we could talk about a lot of stuff Nate you got anything I feel like I've been talking a lot <laughs> no no you're good but I, I was totally yeah. thinking about that as well because I just um reunited with my or well two of my brothers after about 12 years and so I was kind of processing like kind of where I'm at with things because I'm just going through it right now and you know I I do wish because they were in group homes and foster homes as I was during you know uh, pretty much the same time frame, and I didn't know this. Um, however, uh, reuniting with them, I found out that they could have put us all together, and if that would have happened, mm. we could have emancipated together and you know uh, been a family again. But I. I kind of had the same thing where I didn't feel worthy, so I never reached out for uh, to them for years and years and years. And uh, now that my biological mom had just passed, and I went to go to her funeral, and I got that, um, uh, I got that opportunity to be reunited with them. I first off, a lot of things I felt like I got a lot of stress off my shoulders, and we just vibed off the, you know, right off the bat. And I wish I would have reached out earlier, in my own opinion, because I could have used them back then. And I wish that, you know, the state would have given me that opportunity to reunite with them. I agree. Like, and um, since, you know, this podcast is also about, you know, what we think, you know, the system and things to do. And I'm glad they say that because, you know, one of the things and I always do this, like as I'm going through things, I always write down my future things to do when I become a social worker yep. or on my own organization. Yep. I have this ongoing <laughs> list. And one of the things is like, you know, I feel like there should be a unification thing in progress in process, you know, in there already in the procedures, like, you know, when people age out or, you know, they have younger siblings still in or they all age out. I feel like, you know, you, you split them up, you put them back together if they want to be put back together. You know what I mean? Fine. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, I think now, not only just for people like like you, Slam, and Nate, and myself, and all those foster care advocates out there, I think there really is now a concerted concerted efforts among the courts to understand the importance of keeping siblings together at all costs. I know that uh, from some of the work that I've done across the country, a lot of courts mandate that siblings must be placed together um, at all costs unless there's some type of health or safety concern um, because they recognize the importance of one, their relationship in the moment, but also the long-term impacts of of siblings not being placed together. Mm -hmm. And so a quick story, 
is when when I was in foster care uh, and I have always been separated from my my siblings, I have never been in the same foster home as them. But when we were placed as an older group, an older sibling group um, in foster care in Ohio, uh, I found out that my foster that I found out that my baby sister was actually placed in a foster home literally about five to 10 minutes up the street from me. Had no idea. And the only time that I saw her was once a week on Fridays for visitation, if my mom showed up from 5 to 7 p.m. But one day I was literally driving home in my foster mom's car and I saw my little sister playing outside in our neighborhood. And I'm like, I had no idea. My sister, my flesh and blood, literally lives right up the street from me. And there has been no concerted efforts to either A, have those foster parents talk to each other so that I could spend more time with my baby sister, or B, more time to spend with those siblings, even though a parent may not show up to visitation. Because one of the sad facts, at least at the time that I was in care, was if your mom... In this case, my mom, if my mom didn't show up to visitation, that means that I didn't visit with my sisters. And that right there, as I think, is something that needs to be addressed as well. Um, we could talk all day about this, um, but I think we're coming up against the clock. But we wanted to ask this question, as we always do, Slam, um, before we got here, is uh, what is trauma to triumph to you? And don't worry, listeners, I have not forgotten about Slam surprise at the end of the episode. So don't think that I've forgotten about that. But Slam, if you wanted to tell the folks real quick, like what does trauma to triumph mean? for you um trauma to trauma to me is you know when and i like to say it's, it's not about you know the the whole you know the the pain going away or you know the tears going on all of that but it's about seeing everything come together you know we get these little pieces of trauma very randomly and scattered you know we, we get pieces of life like that too but when we start to put everything together in the order and we see the whole picture and we're like, oh, you know, that's what it was for. This, this, this is why I, I went through this. This is why this had to happen. Um, and and we can look at this picture and we can smile. You know, we we can smile despite you know the past we went through. You know, despite the the consequences of others that are affecting us as children and as adults. You know, you know despite the mistakes we made to survive. You know, the mistakes we made out of anger, the mistakes we made out of confusion. You know, um, because it happens. But when you're in that survivor mode, which a lot of kids are when they're in care, you're gonna do what you need to do to survive. So when we can see all of that and we can still smile and and feel like you know. Even though all that happened, I'm good. I've forgiven myself, I've forgiven them, and I'm still here. And I'm not perfect by far. You know, I said this on our last call, Adrian, I'll say it again. You know, I tell people, hey, I'm nothing but a bunch of spare parts, but I'm working with what I got. And it's going good right now, and it's moving. And that is my triumph. My triumph is that I took these spare parts, and I made a badass mobile. Yeah. <laughs> I made a bad mobile, you understand? Like, it might have been some spare rusty parts, but I made something amazing and beautiful out of it. And that is what the, the trauma to triumph to me means. Yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect explanation. And because I am who I am, uh, I have to add a Springsteen thing to everything. Springsteen has a song called Spare Parts, and it talks about that. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to do another episode on our favorite music artists and the music that we like. Yes. First of all, I got to tell the folks, like for, for those of you out there listening, like all of us who do these episodes have barely, if at all, been in the same room together. Like we've been in all rooms virtually. We are dying for the day yeah. when uh. we are all collectively yeah. in the same yeah. space where we can shoot the shit and literally just talk, hang out 
out, listen to music, just chat, because this has been a labor of love to bring these foster strong episodes to you. But it's also been a journey as we discover each other as individuals and as siblings, uh, which is, you know, we talk on this episode. And so this has been a really fantastic conversation um, that we have. And I really can't wait to we're like literally all in the same physical space. So F you COVID. Um, <laughs> Um, so we're going to, without further ado, we're going to end this episode with a special piece that Slam did. Um, if you don't follow Slam, go follow her at Slam Anderson uh, on Instagram. Um, she is a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic person and has a very, very unique soul. Um, and so we're going to listen to one of her pieces um, as we end the episode. Go back and listen to all of the episodes of Foster Strong, um, especially Nate. Uh, Nate, best of luck to you as you get ready to go back to work uh, next Thank week. Thank you so much. Um, um, yeah. And also go back and listen to Nate's special episode. Um, him talking about the journey of going through this tragedy this year of losing a mom, but also reconnecting with the siblings. Like, I don't even know how you fathom loss like that, but then also connection at the same time. And so go back and listen to that episode as well as go back to watch the uh, Instagram live and slam is going to be on IG live on our foster strong Fridays in the future, uh, right after her episode drops. And so, uh, I need to stop talking right now and play this, uh, poem cause you guys are tired of listening to me, but this is called, Dream Slam. Do you have any intro to it before I press play? Um, or? No, it's a uh, it's it's dream to blossom, and so um, it it is a piece from back. I wrote this when I was younger, so um, it's like right in the midst of when things when I was just kind of coming out of things and just trying just coming into myself. So. Find your voice. So, ladies and gentlemen, the last voice you're going to hear is Slam with her poem Dream. We'll see you on another episode of Foster Strong. Dream to Blossom. She lacks the ability to dream, but born with the power to embed fantasies in the mind of every man that breathes in her direction. She spoke her first no at three. So loud her vocal cords must have burst because it's the last time she ever spoke she probably had too many secrets to keep. Afraid one may accidentally come out. She stopped sleeping the same day she stopped speaking, so how can she dream? Reach up to the sky when she's at her darkest. Grab a star. Whether with her passion, watch it blossom. He's 16. He was carrying the nine in his pants before he was able to count the ten. Who has time to dream? Why tempt your soul with desires you'll never achieve? Singing dope to pay for mama hospital bill. Why she prays for the well-being of her only living child. Meanwhile, his gang is ambushed. Bullet hole in the middle of his chest, but the gunshot was never heard. So while he's lying in the middle of the street bleeding, his mother machine is beeping. Mother and son clinging tight to their own lives, asking that God gives comfort to the other when they cry. Grieving over a body murdered by time, so how do you expect them to dream when they can't even breathe? To grab a star, whether with their passion and watch it blossom, see we're deaf to whistles and coos. Constantly planning escape plots for when daddy's hands start to itch for the tender feeling of innocence. Vietnam or expiration and distortion. Exhausted from constantly singing this iron hammer trying to break these chains. Grandma. Raped. Pregnant at 17. Mother. Raped. Pregnant at 16. Daughter. 
raped. Pregnant at 15, future daughter raped. Pregnant at 14, but you tell my sisters to have faith, to grab a star, whether with their passion and watch it blossom, but don't cry, or society will see you as less of a man. Constantly being told that he's dirt, just like his daddy, and that's all he'll ever be. So behind the strength of his eyelids lies a waterfall of mud. Tot dot the hug. No affection should be shared between the male sex unless you stay. <clears throat> No homo. Determined to own more than what his father did. Ridiculing for him for what he isn't instead of praising him for what he became. Top failures all he'll ever achieve. And the only degree he received is behind prison gates. But you tell my brothers to have faith? This is to young Slim. For all the nights she contemplated suicide. This is to my two sisters and two brothers. All with different fathers. This is to my foster care soldiers wearing resilience like armor. This is to all my misfits and all my cutters. All my my unwanted sons and all my unwanted daughters, all my mistakes who are too far alone to become abortion statistics, I say dream. This is to all my rape victims who believe love is non-existent, I say dream. This is to all my AIDS patients who's lost the strength to eat, I say dream. This is to my mother and all other domestic violence victims who's afraid to lift their heads up to the sky and thoughts that their lovers sat their head back down, I say dream. I did. I reached up to the sky when I was at my darkest. I grabbed the star I wrote it with my passion and look at me look at me I blossomed thank you